listening to the Novel Universe Podcast, a monthly YALA podcast hosted by Dawn Abron and Elise Martinez, YA librarians from the Chicagoland area. Each episode features reviews and rants on new and upcoming YA books. We're here to help you navigate your TBR pile. What's good, what's bad, and everything in between. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Elise, the rejecter of romance. So turn up the volume. Here we go. the novel universe with your host Dawn the criticizer of books. I thought I did this podcast already but apparently I forgot to upload it so it's a little late but this is my November reads even though it is December 22nd. I read two books in November and one book in December largely because all the good books have been published by October 31st. Not much new comes out in November and December. That is by design by the way. Okay, so I read three books, and the first book I will be talking about is The Toll by Neil Shusterman, and it is the third book in the Ark of the Scythe series. I gave this book a four and a half. The standout of this book, and all the books actually, is the world that Shusterman has created. It is an alternate universe. It is not a world that will ever happen. If you are not familiar with the Scythe series, in this world, um, death has been eliminated and people don't die anymore. So to control the population, Scythes, who are immortal, they come around and they kill you. They glean you. It's called gleaning. And that is to control the population. So there is no way in hell this world could ever exist. However, when you're reading it, you kind of imagine yourself living in this world and you're like, oh my God, what if I'm just driving down the street and a scythe crosses my path? That means I'm dead. How would that make me feel? Would I be living in constant fear? But I mean, technically we could die at any moment. I could die in a car accident. Do I live in fear when I drive? Sometimes. (laughs) I do. I actually hate driving and traveling because I'm constantly living in fear of dying in a plane crash or a car crash. But, you know, I'm weird. A normal person doesn't really think about that. So the fact that Schusterman has managed to create this over-the-top ridiculous world, but at the same time, we could kind of see us living in this world, I think it's pretty good. And I think he does it by way of themes, In this series, power is a huge theme. And the scythes in this book will go to great lengths to maintain and to get power. And then we have the addition of the tonists, which are religious people. And one could conclude that Schusterman was influenced by our current culture and our current political climate, where we have a president who will do anything for power. We have sycophants who will do whatever he tells them to do so that they can either get power or maintain power. And we have the religious right who also wants power. And so they're going to bend over backwards for this president to maintain their power, even though it might go against their values. So I'm inclined to think that Schusterman was influenced by what's happening right now. And because of that theme, it makes this world incredibly relatable. It makes this world 
possible because of the theme, which I think is masterful on Schusterman's part. So as I said, the world is the standout. Um, in this book, how uh, can I say it? The characters kind of play second fiddle. It's not really about the characters too much in this book. There are a lot of them, but it's really the world and the writing style which stands out. And it's by writing style, I mean Schusterman manages to keep all his books well paced. This one in particular, which is about 672 pages, I believe that is the exact page number because that's a long ass book for me. He managed to keep the book relatively well paced. There were never moments where I was like, oh my God, I want to die. This book is fucking slow. Kill me now. I never thought that way. I'm reading a book right now where I'm feeling that way. I'm reading Gideon the Ninth, I believe is the title. And I'm at that point where everyone on Goodreads was like, oh my God, this book is fucking slow. I, it needs to pick up. And I almost DNF'd it, but I read a Goodreads review that was like, it picks up right in the third section. And I, that's where I ended. And I went to Goodreads right after that moment and read this person's review. And I was like, okay, <laughs> she said that it turns to a murder mystery right at the third section. And that's where it picks up. I'm going to keep going. But I never felt that way while I was reading this book. It's very well paced. It's very well written. The characters on the page are interesting um, and well thought out. And in this book, actually in the whole series, Schusterman will drop in these random characters out of nowhere and they'll show up like hundreds of pages later. But because his writing is so well and that the character that he just plopped in out of nowhere has made such an impact on you on page 50, when that person appears again on page 500, you remember them. Like, I think that's great. I think that's good writing. There are authors who cannot do that. <coughs> Renee Adier, who would drop in random characters in The Beautiful. And you'd be like, what the hell is this person for? And they're only a ploy to, to kill them off or, I don't know, something stupid. Like, they, they didn't have any impact. But Schusterman is able to make every character important. And there are a lot of characters in this book. Um, that's the overall reason why I liked the book. There are a lot of themes going on in this book. He has a lot to say. Um, that's really, the, that's really it. That's why I really loved it. There are a couple of things that bothered me that didn't give it a higher rating. Um, two, two major things. One is Rand. There's a character named Rand. And at the end of The Thunderhead, which is book two, she has a very interesting character arc in book two. And at her, the end of book two, I thought her character was going to go in a different direction and it didn't go there. Now, that's not the book's fault. That's my fault for presuming that her character is going to go some way that I didn't think it should have. That's my problem. But I wanted her to have a better redemption story I thought that she was being set up to do something fantastic and she just did it and it bothered me to the point where I lowered my rating also Goddard the main villain I like a sympathetic villain I like I need to know why a character behaves the way they behave and Goddard was killing 
masses amount of humans. But I want to know why. Like, did his mama not give him enough hugs when he was a baby? I need to know these things. I need to know why, what compels a character to kill thousands of people at a time. I did not get that. It bothered me. It made me lower my rating. Um, if you have not read this book and you're like excited for Rowan, etc., you're not going to get that. They're not on the page a lot. <laughs> and that was a bummer because I think that this book needed some romance. Schusterman does not write romance in his books. And I think it's unfortunate. Now, one may argue that, and I would be one of these people who say teens don't need romance and books, all their books, and they can go without a romance and platonic friendships are great. And I know I have complained that like Bardugo, who was extremely notorious for being matchy matchy and peri peri with all of her characters, all her characters have to pair up romantically. Jay Kristoff is notorious for this too. And I complain about it because it's not necessary. However, this book could have really used a kiss or a, a aggressive hug or something. Could we get something? I didn't get it. And it was, it could have used it. Just saying. But other than that, I also didn't like the very, very, very end. I cried. It was sad. But I don't know. I don't know. I wanted something a little bit more. Regardless, I love the book. I gave it a four and a half. It is a great series. If you are looking for a really well-written alternate universe science fiction story, side series is a good book for you. The second book I read was Call Down the Hawk by Maggie Stiefvater. This is book one in the Dreamer series. You technically do not have to read The Raven Cycle. However, I would recommend that you do because it's all about the world of dreamers. And in the Raven Cycle, you really get to know Ronan. This Call Down the Hawk is about Ronan. You really get to know Ronan and what his powers are and what happened to his family and Adam and his backstory. Like you really are in, you really get a sense of the world if you read the Raven Cycle. It's a good series anyway. You should read it. The fourth book you know, eh, could have been better. But overall, the series was really good. and It's well written. So, but technically you don't have to. She does a good job of explaining the world enough that you shouldn't have to read The Raven Cycle. But anyway, once again, this book, the standout is the world that she's created. So what this story is about is there are these people called dreamers. Ronan is a dreamer. He is the main character in the story. And a dreamer can enter their dreams take something out and bring it back into the real world. Like they, it will physically come back into the real world. And one dreamer has, is going to bring back the end of the world from their dream. There are people called visionaries who have seen this happen. And their job is to predict or tell, not no predict, where it's going to happen like not predict where it's going to happen but they can see dreamers doing things they can see the dreamers and then the moderator's job is to find the dreamers and to kill them before they bring death back from their dream the problem is that the visionaries can see it happening but they don't know which dreamer is doing it so the moderators are just killing 
all the dreamers. And the visionaries are saying, oh, there's a dreamer in D.C., there's a dreamer in Florida, there's a dreamer here, and they just go and get them and kill them. Ronan is a dreamer, therefore he's in danger. So the world she's created is interesting. It's well done. Is it new? Like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. We must stop it. No, it's not new. The meat in that sandwich has been eaten many times. However, the bread that surrounds that sandwich is delicious and it's interesting and it's different. So that's what makes her world good. Another thing I like about this book are uh, a couple of the characters are standouts. Ronan is always a standout. I mean, he was a standout in the first book. Gansey was my favorite in The Raven Cycle, but Ronan was a very close second. And Ronan has a very tough exterior, even though he's extremely damaged. Um, he's very tough. And in this book, we get to see a more vulnerable Ronan, which was beautiful. Um, he's in love with Adam and he wants to be with Adam, but he can't because his dreamer life is killing him and it could kill other people. So he tries to stay away from Adam, but he wants to be with him. So it's really tragic. Their relationship's really tragic. At the same time, it's a great relationship. I hated them at the end of the Raven cycle, but I like them in this series. The other character that I believe is the biggest standout is Declan. Declan Lynch is Ronan's older brother. And Declan was barely in the Raven cycle. I think he may have been on the page one time. But what makes Declan great is that he is three different characters depending on whose eyes you're seeing him through. So through his own eyes, he is a self-proclaimed boring person. He has a boring job. He has um, a boring um, apartment. He dresses boring. He doesn't really have any friends. And it's true. When you see him through his eyes, he is lame AF. And when you see him through Ronan's eyes, he is the annoying father figure because Ronan, uh, their parents died when Ronan was still in high school and they have a younger brother, Matthew, who's 17. And so Declan has had to be the father. And so he's the one that's constantly telling Ronan, go to school, um, eat, don't forget to eat. I need you to pick up Matthew from school. He's done something like he's like constantly on top of him about every little thing. And it's like a father. And when we see Declan through Ronan's eyes, he's he's annoying. He's just like, oh, God, here he goes again, complaining all the time. And there were times where I forgot that Declan is really only like 22. He's, I think, a senior in college. But he acts like he's 30 because he is their father, basically. And, you know, that's good writing when you can make a reader forget the age of your character simply because of the way he behaves. And when you see Declan through this new character, Jordan, he is, he is sophisticated and he's interesting and charismatic and he's sexy and he's just endearing and you love him. You're like, wow, where'd this guy come from? I want to be, I want to hang out with this guy. I want to hang out with that boring ass over there. And the fact that Steve Otter has managed to show a character in three different ways through three different POVs, but it's the same person to the point where you kind of forget that we're talking about the same guy here. It's, I think it's masterful writing. Steve Otter is one of my favorite authors for this very reason. Her writing is fantastic. So we do have two new characters. 
One is Farouk Lane. Farouk is a, that's not her first name. I can't remember her first name. Her last name is Farouk Lane. She is a moderator and she is tasked with killing dreamers. And then we have Hennessy. Jordan Hennessy is also a dreamer. And in the beginning of Hennessy's chapter, I was super confused. I didn't know what the hell was going on. But then it kind of clears itself up a little bit as I kept going. And once again, Hennessy, I don't want to get too much away, but Hennessy has issues. She's experienced a trauma. And when she dreams, she brings back a clone of herself. So there are like seven different Hennessy's running around. They, she names them all a different name. They all have a different personality. But the main one is Jordan. Her name is Hennessy Jordan, but she named her name is Jordan Hennessy. But there's the Jordan character and then there's the Hennessy character. Hennessy is the dreamer. Jordan is the product of the dream. And Jordan is a totally different person than Hennessy. She has goals. She has quote unquote dreams. She wants to be an artist. She has passion. She has talent. She has a great personality that is totally different than Hennessy. She's a little bit more um, half glass full, whereas Hennessy is half glass empty. And when they're on the page, even and they exist together at the same time, when they're talking, you can tell exactly who's talking because they have two totally different voices. And I'm reading, I read a book in December, and I'm going to talk about that where that didn't happen, where, it, where the author didn't make that happen. So for Steve Otter to be able to have the exact same person on the page, yet have two different voices is like freaking great. And I love Jordan. But the tragedy of it is that if the dreamer dies, their dream goes into a coma, basically. They don't wake up. So if Hennessy dies, so does Jordan. And Jordan and Declan are my new OTP. And so it's like constant like pins and needles because Hennessy is freaking being an asshole and not trying to help herself. And you're like, girl, if you don't do it, Jordan's going to die. And I need Jordan and Declan to live happily ever after. And so, yeah, it's their whole dynamic is great. Um, that's really the biggest things I loved about the book. There are a couple of things that bothered me. And when I read books, I do this thing where if I'm reading a book and it's great, I'm like, oh my God, this book is on its way to a five. Like this book is potentially a five and I am at 90% or 80%. And I'm like, still, I'm like, still, this book is on its way. It's at least a four and a half. And this book will be a five if A, B, and C happens. I need certain things to happen at the end of a book for me to give it a five. And usually it's, I need an answer. I need something specific answered. I need these two characters to profess their love or break up. I need this to happen. Like some major things have to happen for me to love a book and give it a perfect score. And this book didn't do that. It only did one of the three things I needed it to do. And I'm not gonna say what the two of the things are because it's a spoiler. But one of them is I needed to know the identity of Bird. And Bird is a voice that Ronan hears in his dreams and he's helping him. And I needed to know who Bird was. And I figured it out um, some not, I figured it out not too early on, kind of towards the end when it was revealed, before it was revealed, I did figure it out. So it didn't like bother me or it wasn't like predictable or anything. But 
so I did get that answered, but there were two other things that didn't get answered that bothered me. So I couldn't give it a five. And the other thing that uh, made me not give it a five is the very, 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 very end. And it wasn't, it wasn't the ending per se. It was how they got away. I was like, because I don't consider Maggie Steve Otter a humor writer. She doesn't write humor very well. That's, no, I'm not going to say that's not true. It's not that she doesn't write it well. It's that she doesn't write humor. Her books are not funny and she's not trying to be funny. So when that ending happened and how they got away, I'm like, what the fuck is that? And I think I missed something early on because she alludes to it at the very end. And I think I missed it, but I didn't care enough to go back. So I was just like, well, whatever. Um, but if you read the book, you know what I mean? Um, it didn't lower my reading too much, but I was just like, I don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> so yeah, I highly recommend Call Down the Hawk. I think Maggie Steve Otter is one of those writers who writes for adults who read YA. I have tried to give the Raven Cycle to teens, just the Raven Boys, just the first one. And I have yet to meet a teen that could make it through that book. And I'm talking one of my teens, she, I've known her since eighth grade. She is now a freaking junior at, um, college in Chicago, a really good school, DePaul University, and she couldn't get through it. She's pre-med and she couldn't get through it. So I'm like, oh, and she loves fantasy. <laughs> so yeah, this book is, it, it's not for teens. I think Steve Otter writes books for adults who read YA. So if you're going into reading anything by Steve Otter and you think you're going to get something like Throne of Glass or even Hunger Games, you're not going to get that. Her book is way more critical than that. And Hunger Games is a pretty critical book. But The Hunger Games is also entertaining to like a teen reader. Whereas Call Down the Hawk is really the good, the good bits about Call Down the Hawk is in the details of the character in the world and not so much action on the page. So if you are a type of person that needs action on the page, you're probably not going to like this book. If you like a character driven plot, then you're going to like this book. All right, the third and final book I read was, I always get this wrong, Children of Vengeance and Virtue, Children of Vice and Vengeance, Children of, of I Don't Know, V's and V's or whatever by Tomi Adeyemi. You can already tell I wasn't jazzed about this book because I don't know the title and you would be correct. Um, I DNF'd this book at about 40%. I loved well, I don't know if I say I loved it. I really, really, really liked Children of Blood and Bone. I did give it a five, a reluctant five. It was probably more four and a half, but I bumped it up to a five. So I was very excited about this book. I actually paid money for this book. I actually paid money for this book. And I don't normally do that. I normally read a book first, love it, and then buy it. I don't buy books and then read it because I'm a librarian. I don't need to. I can, I can, I get the books before they are put on the shelf. Like the books come into the library a week before they go on a shelf and I could easily just take it from the back and read it a couple of days and then bring it back so it can be processed and put in the calendar, in the catalog and on the shelf. So I don't need to buy books. Um, I only need to buy them if I like them and I want to keep them on my shelf. And so I digress. So this book, 
my goodness. And I hate, I hate that I don't like it because I want to. I really wanted to like it. But the problem with this book is that the pacing was fucking bananas. Like, Zelly and, and not, not, well, Zelly and her brother and Amaria, Amari, it was just this repetition. They would be confronted with the problem, usually um, Anand's mom or a new re- revolution, a new group of revolters, and they would be like, oh my God, we got somebody new that we got to fight. They would go out and they would fight them and then somebody would die and then they would run back to their base camp and then, oh, oh, here comes a new group of people. Oh, we got to go get them. We got to go get them. Let's go. They go get them and then somebody dies or gets hurt and then they got to go back to camp and then, oh, here come again. And it's just on and on and on like that. And there was no substance to any of it. And... I just, it was like I was just reading the same thing over and over and over. And, you know, Zelly already had some problems in the first book. She was, she was very much a Gryffindor where she would just act first and think second. And she would just like snap on everybody in her way. And she, fuck everybody. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go. And then three pages later, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Like, she did this to the extreme in this book, to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. And her and Amari were just their whole little jealousy, pissy contest. And like, I was just, I was over it. I couldn't, I couldn't. And what I was saying in my Call Down the Hawk review was that Steve Otter had two characters that were technically the same person on the same page, yet they had two totally different voices. However, in Children of Virtue and Vengeance, or Vengeance and Virtue, whatever, Amari and Zelly have their own freaking chapters with chapter headings, and I still didn't know who was talking. I still would have to go back to the chapter heading and be like, oh, it's Zelly talking, because they had the same voice. And... I don't know if Ariyeme was rushed to put this book out. I don't know what the problem was, but the publisher needs to start letting these authors take their time because they're rushing out this stuff and it's not as good as the first. And it just, it's just soured me now. And I don't even care what happens in the subsequent book. And now I have this book that I bought and I can't do anything with it because it's book two. And I can't give it to a teen because what if they haven't read book one, which chances are they haven't. And I don't have book one. I could technically go buy book one, but I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want to buy book one. So I have this freaking book sitting on my shelf. It's a beautiful cover, but it just reminds me of how pissed off I am about this series. that I don't want to look at it anymore. So if anybody wants the book, let me know and I'll give it to you. I will ship it to you. All right. That's it. That is what I read for November and December. Um, I don't know if I'm going to continue the podcast or not. We will see. We'll see what happens. If I do, I will see you in the new year. I do have a couple of other podcasts that I would like to get out of the way. I need to finish the ninth house read along and I need to do my best of the decade. And so those will be coming in the next couple of weeks. Until then, I will catch you in the next podcast.